Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. As you know, last summer, uh, the leadership team uh, here at the, at the church uh, invited me and, and uh, encouraged me to, to uh, take a sabbatical. So if you remember through the months of June and July, I was um, uh, on sabbatical. And basically that was six weeks of intensively just seeking the Lord, um, refreshing, recharging. And um, it, it, it just was a game changer for me in so many ways. 18 years into ministry, and I just had a chance to kind of reset, refocus, reestablish habits in my life. And, and um, just something that is, it's, it's what the Church of the Nazarene wants to be about with its ministers. And um, I'm just so appreciative for that, and uh, the fruit of that is just now starting to uh, to develop. But um, you know, we have a staff, right? It's not just me, obviously. And uh, Ben has been on staff here for almost twelve years. Can you believe that? Some of you are feeling a little bit older right now, aren't you? And the way he looks, it looks like he started when he was about eight, right? That's a compliment, dude. That's good. Huh? You look good. Um, but 12 years, and uh, just felt like, man, this would be great for him to take some time away, two months, to just recharge, refocus, um, just allow God to enlarge his heart, his vision, and uh, also just to drink deeply in the wells of, of just connecting with God. And that, that's what I was able to do, and I'm telling you, I wish everybody, every vocation could do this. And I'm thankful for a healthy community that uh, here that understands that and is willing to do that. And I encourage you, maybe it can't be the eight weeks, right, or the six weeks, but uh, in your life, three or four days here or there, a week there, to just get away and to reset your life, the, the amazing fruit that will come from your life for that. And so Ben is going to take a sabbatical May and June. So... He'll actually be here May 1st, he'll start May 2nd, and um, he'll be back, I think, the first Sunday in July, maybe, or something like that. But um, uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. We'll send you a letter out. We just do that for our membership. Um, nothing's happened. Ben's not gone. Nothing's wrong. Uh, this is actually a way for us to just get better. And you know, when Ben gets better, we all get better. Uh, anybody on our staff that gets better, we get better because of that. We will experience the overflow of what God's doing in their life. And so um, I just want you to be aware of that. Obviously, Ben, like me, like we couldn't go to a cabin in a mountain in Montana for six weeks and just like, you know, come back with a big Corey Meister beard. We couldn't. So we got family. We're parenting and we're doing things. So we're around town. We, he, I was around town. He was around, he'll be around town. So you'll run into him, I'm sure. But he's, gonna, he's, he's not going to be around here. Um, and so um, would you do me one favor? I'm going to put you on the spot because everybody's going to raise their hand. Would you pray for Ben? Would you raise your hand tell me you'll pray for Ben as he's on sabbatical that God will just enlarge his heart and uh, make him better in the long run and us better in the long run. Let me pray. Father, uh, as we share these things and 
We just help people understand what we're trying to do here. Lord, uh, it's all for one purpose. That's to be most effective in the kingdom. Lord, you see, just even in this service as I look around, how many people weren't here six months ago, weren't here a year ago. Lord, we desire to be a community that's growing because people are interacting, engaging with you and your body. And so, Lord, would you just help Ben through these months to see what you're wanting him to see and to grow him closer to you. Also, for him and Kristen, just to, to have a unique, blessed time in, this, in these months. And with Judah and Merrick, Lord, I just pray. Keep your hand on them in all ways. Bless them. And in turn, I know it'll be a blessing for this church. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been doing a construction project in my basement, putting in a couple bedrooms. That's been quite an adventure, let me tell you. But um, uh, I, I go down there at night. Uh, sometimes I'll start working about 7.30 or 8 or whenever. And, and I, I take my iPad down there. I stream uh, something like a TV channel or something. And I can't really watch it, but I hear what's going on, right? Kind of gotten hooked on like um, investigative discovery channel, like you know, an hour of a crime they're trying to solve and how they, you know, all that stuff and just listen and listen and listen. So I've, I don't really, I'm not watching it, but I'm hearing it and I, I'm hearing commercials a lot more than I normally do. And you know how every hour, like the same commercial four or five times, depending on how much money they paid, right, to have it run. But um, this one commercial is running right now. And I can't show it because then Facebook will kick us off and all that. And you know how that goes. But here's the words to this commercial with just scenes. Keep perfecting. Keep practicing. Keep going. Because no matter how good you get, there is always room for better. Keep perfecting, keep practicing, keep going, because no matter how good, how good you get, there is always room for better. How many of you are tired after I read that sentence? Yeah. This is a mantra for our world. Right? We are in headlong pursuit of trying to perfect, to practice, to go, to develop. We are consumed with trying to make our quality of life better. Is not this a mantra for our world? Go into any sector, any part of our society, and you will hear words like, we're good, but we want to keep getting better. We, got it. we can get better. We can get better. We can get better. And I just get tired when I hear that. Right? This is what our world is believing in. If we can perfect medical science, we can make things better for people. If we can perfect technology or make it better, we can uh, improve the quality of life. We can travel more easily. We can c connect better. Is not this the, the pursuit of our world, right? Get better. We've done a good job getting better. And just think about the fact that, like, yeah, this right here is like two times the first computer, Right? That huge room with a computer. I mean, we're, we're amazing. Connect right now with somebody across the world. No thing anymore, right? No thing. Um, man, how many times has, has medical science saved your life? 
or helped you with your quality of life. We try to keep getting better, and often it's, it's quality of life things. I, we talk about getting better in the world, more peace, more equality. Um, that's not going so well. We talk about it, though, right? We talk about it a lot. It's not happening. It, it rises, and then it falls. And I was thinking about this, how we are consumed with getting better. So we can experience a better quality of life. But as I've listened to that commercial over and over. And as I've thought about that. And you know agree with some facets of it obviously. If you know me the way I'm wired. And then what I'm speaking on this week. It all comes together. And I'm like but why? Why? Why does it matter? You can improve my quality of health you can save my life but at the end of the day we all know regardless of whether we have high quality of life low quality of life good health poor health the playing field becomes level for all of us because the reality is is regardless of quality of life life ends for all of us does it not? They haven't developed something yet where we live forever. I mean, Ted Williams is frozen in something in Arizona, hoping they do. Right? You don't know who Ted Williams is. He's a baseball player, and he had his body frozen, and whatever that is. You see, the reality is, is that oftentimes, we become so consumed with things that ultimately don't change the end. I'm thankful for certain things, obviously. But I know that there's going to be one day, regardless of how many vegetables I eat or how many miles I run, and you can tell I haven't been eating a lot of vegetables and running a lot of miles, maybe, that there is Father Time always wins. Always wins. Never is defeated. Undefeated. Except for a couple. Right? That's why Palm Sunday to me is such a reminder of how easy it is to misplace values. If you've been around here for any Palm Sundays, you know the however many before that I've spoke, I always come back to Palm Sunday is such a beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God. How he brought together the events perfectly of Holy Week. Beginning with Palm Sunday. Two weeks before Palm Sunday. He knows exactly what he's doing to orchestrate all the events perfectly. So that he would go to a cross and that he would rise from a tomb. I mean, it's Palm Sunday is in the middle of this beautiful, wow. Like, he made it all go. Like, he knew, I'm going to do this miraculous thing. I'm going to raise a man from the dead two weeks before Palm Sunday. It's going to be the, 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 the last mir- or one of the last miracles I do, miracle he does. It's going to be the most visible one. 
I mean, they're going to talk about it everywhere. Lazarus came out of the, de- the tomb after four days. It's going to be the buzz and chatter. It's going to be the headlines and the post and the times and all of this, the Sentinel or whatever we have around here, the Clarion. Or, it's going to be the headlines. And everybody's going to be chattering about it. And as they're chattering about it, everybody's going to be coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And just like we all are as a people, when you get together, you talk about things. And there's going to be a buzz. And I'm going to do that on purpose so that when I show up outside of Jerusalem on that Sunday, everybody's going to get so excited about what I've done that they're going to think that now's the time. The Messiah's here. We're going to overthrow Rome. The revolution's beginning. And they're going to like put me on a donkey and they're going to ride me down in Jerusalem and, and they're going to throw palm branches and and coats in front of me, and the whole town is going to be in an uproar. It's going to be awesome. They're going to think this is it. The religious leaders are just going to be that much forced into a corner to like make a decisive decision about me, because the whole town's crazy. And I'm going to do that on purpose so that when I come back into town on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, instead of starting a revolution and organizing an army and and naming generals and strategic planning. I'm going to keep talking about these things that no one cares about. And they're going to be so disappointed. Like we thought you were the one. You're just a fraud, a phony. Why do you not care about the situation we're in? And I'm going to have them go from so high. To I'm going to disappoint them so bad. That by Friday, it's going to take nothing for the mob to look and say, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. But it's all my plan. It's what I, I put it together so I could do what needs to be done. And like Palm Sunday is like this, it's a reminder to me of how easy it is to misplace values. For those people, everything, their value system was built around their quality of life there and now. And I don't blame them. Who wants to be a slave to Rome? Who wants to be in that condition? I don't blame them. But they fixated so much on, he's going to make me healthy, wealthy, wise. He's going to fix my problem. He's going to change my circumstance. It's going to, you know, we're going to, all these things. Their values were placed in the temporary so much that they missed completely what they needed most. Amen? And I, I'm like, you know, it's easy to read that and go, a bunch of jokers. And then look in the mirror and say, Woo, am I so often a person with misplaced values consumed in things that are temporary, neglecting and forgetting the things that are needed most? That's the things with needs and wants, right? We teach our kids that, right? I actually looked this up because I knew there was something out there this week. I typed it. You just go to Google or YouTube. Needs and wants. Like there was this cool little kids video. It was like 500,000 views. Like parents are looking this up all the time. How to explain to your kids needs and wants. Show them, show them their needs, so, you know, like, or show them the video. We start early trying to help them understand needs and wants. And yet it can be easy to blur the lines of needs and wants. 
Sometimes I look at my own life and wonder how often I'm stressed out and making great efforts for things that are wants and not needs. My quality of life is affected because of wants, not needs. And I would like to remind you today as we look at the implications of Easter through these three weeks, we think about death and resurrection. Last week as we considered the fact that his, what love looks like is a God who forgives sins, who puts himself in our place, becomes sin for us so that we might be restored in relationship to God, a holy God. That's what love looks like, is a God that forgives freely, instantly, completely. It's as if these three weeks are going to look at past, present, future considerations, the implications of the resurrection. We looked at the past, so to speak, last week. We're going to look at the future today. Because here's the thing. If I want quality of life, but I realize that at the end of the day, there's the unavoidable event that I'm going to face and you're going to face, that's death. Shouldn't even the fact that I want quality of life be trumped by a greater need for confidence in death. Amen? Are you with me today? Okay. I know he is. Palm Sunday reminds us it's easy to misplace values. And then... The story of the resurrection reminds us that God is always, always interested most in what we need. And that you and I should understand that the nature of this life demands us to consider what we need over what we want first. Amen? And so, how do I live with confidence in death? You know, people process death differently if you look around our world. I see that there's a group of people in our world that with death, that they, I'd call them, they are the nothing people. Think about death, they just tell themselves there's nothing after death. Like you just live and then you die and you decay and that's it. There's nothing after death. So obviously if there's nothing after death, Wow, I better, I better live for everything I can now, right? Like, this is all we got? I'm headlong after everything I can get my hands on. There's the nothing people. There's the group in our world that's the live good, come back, different or better people. <laughs> right? There's whole religions that teach this. Like, do good things now because... We acknowledge that you die and that there's an afterlife and if you do good things now and do less bad things, you might come back as a horse instead of a grasshopper. Right? I mean, that's, that's the reality. I mean, it's crude in my explanation, but in reality, that's exactly what this is. Like, how do I process death? Well, it happens and there's an afterlife, so I need to do good now so I can have a better afterlife later. Some of you might want to be a grasshopper. I don't know. 
There's the, it's all going to be okay, people. Right? This is the, there's no way, if God's good, that the afterlife is anything but unicorns and rainbows. I meet these people. Like, it's all good. It's better, 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 better. I stood at a funeral yesterday. And of course, the chatter that always happened. Yeah, that grandma is just playing cards around a table today with all her friends. It's all good, right? It's a unicorn, rainbows. That's how we think about death. It's just way better than what we have now. And it's all okay because God's always going to, you know, be okay with everybody when they die. This is the love win crowds. Love wins crowd. Right? Love wins. It's okay. That's how people process death. There's the I could only imagine crowd. I like that song. Everybody's thinking I'm banging on that song. I'm not. I, I just couldn't think of another phrase. It's the like, again, whatever's good here, it's way better there. That's how I process death. It's going to be way better. I get to play center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals in heaven. I know it. And you know the Cardinals are going to be in heaven. That's why it's called baseball heaven here. Anyway. Yeah. I just wish that the Lord would influence then the outcome of every World Series that way, but he doesn't. I, I can only imagine crowd. Or there's... I don't want to think about it, crowd. <laughs> How many of you here are today? Uh, I'm just not going to think about it. And I'm just going to fill my life, and anytime I think about death, I'm just going to get busy doing something. I don't ever want to think about death. Right? There's that crowd. Like, let's just not even talk about it, crowd. It, it doesn't matter, though. However you approach it, it's happening for you. It's happening for me. My wife and I have this debate like, um, would you want to know when, where, and how you died? Can you guess what I am? Yes, I want to know. I want to know the exact second. I want to know all the details, the last breath, the last words, the, like the uh, decorations in the room. I want to know it all. My wife's like, no, I don't want to know anything. I just want to walk into death. Like, that sounds terrible. I want to know. A lot of times we just try to avoid it altogether, but the inescapable reality is we all will face death. And death violates us. It violates our dominion we were called to have over this earth. It breaks long love relationships that we have. It removes people in our lives that are greatly needed and greatly in um, effective. Death is an enemy. It's our greatest enemy that we face. It's the one thing, and I shared this first service, um, because it robs us of it with its uncertain nature and unexpected timing. Um, I just shared a little personal bit about me. Um, uh, so I'm a type A personality. To come along with a type A personality is I like to be in control. And God has really changed my life in that area on purpose. Like some things I on purpose do not control because I know if I do, I'll just keep. So God's done a work in me, but I'm in control. So one of the things about death is there is no control. I mean, I can, you know, not ride a motorcycle. 
Right, Jeff? I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I can limit the risk factors in my life to avoid death. I can eat semi-healthy. I can do certain things, but it's unavoidable, and it's random, and it's out of my control, and it's out of your control. Like, you can do everything right, and your heart can explode. You can do everything right, and cancer can ravage your body. You can do everything right and get hit head on by a car, right? Some of you are like, would you please stop talking? You are only feeding. Well, that's me. Because I am wired to want to control, something I can't control becomes a huge fear factor for me. And I have lived my life at times. Now, God has reoriented this big time. But I knew what it was like to, to just wonder, am I going to die? I remember I dated a girl in Portsmouth, Ohio, and I could go a couple different, couple different through Dayton or Columbus. And I remember like, like thinking, like, well, if I go through Columbus, maybe, maybe I'll avoid a wreck at going through Dayton and I'll stay alive. Like stuff like that. I know you guys think I'm whack, but. Like, I know what it's like even today to resist now the temptation, but to know the reality of backing out of the driveway as I'm going on a trip, even just out of town, maybe it's a day trip, waving at my wife and my kids, and in my mind, the hamster wheel's just going, you better make it nice, better make it good, this is it, you're going to die, make it good, make sure they remember it, yeah. Oh, I'm opening a whole can of worms here. For <laughs> I was trying to be transparent. Because somebody like me who has this personality, death is something you can't control. And that bothers you. Right? Here's the implications of the resurrection, though. This is a big piece of the puzzle when understanding Jesus' death and resurrection. For us, the greatest enemy, the most unavoidable enemy that we face, death, the resurrection speaks directly to it. So it's in 1 Corinthians where Paul is writing 50-something verses in one chapter, which I know it wasn't a chapter when he wrote it in a book, but um, it's a long, like, hey, if Christ has not risen, your faith is in vain and we are miserable people. But because he's risen, everything is right. And, and he says, listen, the reality of that is you're going to be able to become people who were mortal, who take on immortality, who were perishable, who, be, who become imperishable. And he's writing these words, encouraging them about the whole treaties on the resurrection and the implications of it. And he finally winds down and it's like he comes to the end of this chapter and he's so pumped up where he actually writes these words, oh yeah, where oh death is your victory, where oh death is your sting. It's, it's really, and the way it's written as I was even studying it more this week, it's like a taunt. It's like a, yeah, the greatest enemy we've ever faced that's ravaged this world. Christ's resurrection has done something about it. Like that's this phrase here. It's a taunt phrase. It's like this fall, flag football, Colby, first game, takes the ball and runs around the end and sees an opening and 
goes to the end zone, runs right by me. It's like, cool, it's a dad moment. Like, yeah, you know, it's fun. See him score a touchdown. I look at the end zone, and there's Colby in the end zone going like this. First touchdown of the year, I'm like, oh, my goodness. What monster have we created? Not really. But I was like, Colby, Colby. Good job, bud. Let's act like we've been there before. I know you haven't yet, but let's act like we're going to go back, you know. But that's Paul. I'm not kidding. The language is like this. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It's like when we read about what this resurrection of Christ means for us, it is the greatest enemy we can face defeated. That's why the story that surrounds Palm Sunday or starts, sparks what becomes Palm Sunday is so important. As Jesus has, two weeks before Palm Sunday, he's left Jerusalem. He's kicked up enough angst with the religious people that you read in John 10. They're ready to stone him. They're done. He's a blasphemer. He claims he's God. Does all this stuff. They're ready. And so he slips away because he knows it's not quite time yet. I'm going Passover week. I've got this planned out. And they go to this place where where there was great ministry happening and Jesus is healing people and, and helping people and the disciples are excited. And as they're doing that, the word comes, hey, Jesus, one of your best friends, Lazarus, has died. You know, and, and um, they said he was sick. Jesus said, no, he's dead. I already know. And, um, and Jesus just waits, though, on purpose. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, hey, we're going to go back. Lazarus is dead. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, we just got out of there. It was getting really hot. We go back, and we're all going to die. That's where Thomas makes that famous phrase, like, well, I'm just going to die with Christ. That's my lot. If, I gotta, if he's going to die, I'm going to die too, right? Jesus is like, no, we're going back. And so here they come. And this is where we break into this story that you're all familiar with. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He did that on purpose. And I was reading through that a lot. And I don't, I don't have the time to break that all down. But he knew exactly what he was doing. In the ancient world, too. Like, they kind of thought three days after you're dead, something could happen, maybe. You know, there's a lot of mysticism. But by day four, when you know what happens to a body without being embalmed by day four, it's not good. I've been reading about this, Okay. Not pleasant. There was no doubt across the ancient world anywhere a, de- a person dead four days was dead. Dead, dead. Like, well, might have made a mistake. He still had a little bit of a pulse, maybe a little bit of breath. He was, a, you know, you never know. No, by day four, what had happened to your body is just, you're dead, dead. He does that on purpose because he's making a point. I'm going to wait around because I'm making a point. And he says, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews came to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. This is Martha, right? This is the one who's working when Jesus is talking. And and Mary stays home. Mary would sit at Jesus' feet. Mary was probably overcome with grief, didn't want to, just was like, you know, my brother's dead. I'm overcome. I'm not, I'm just depressed. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is great Christology. Like she knew the power of Jesus, right? She understood who he was. 
She's seen him heal. She knew his power. And, and, and she even says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Like, great Christology. In fact, watch this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She has great theology. Because she goes, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Come on, Jesus, I know. I know that the scriptures have always taught that everybody rises again. Did you know that today? Oftentimes, people are mistaken to think that only Christians rise. All will rise in the last day. This whole there is nothing, you just die and there's nothing, is nowhere in Scripture. Jesus clearly in John chapter 5 teaches that in the last day all, some will rise to life. Well, you see, when you rise to life, he's saying you live into the life, or some will rise to condemnation and torment. He said, I know this, duh, Lazarus is going to rise when he's, in the last day, at the resurrection of the last day. Okay, thank you, Jesus, for telling me what I already know, but I care about him now. He's gone now. To which Jesus said, whoa, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. And even though they're temporary construct might pass. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus isn't saying that some live forever and some die forever. He, everybody lives forever. But he's saying that to truly understand what living is, is to be connected to the source of life, which is Jesus Christ. And then he heals Lazarus, right? Four days dead. It's like perfectly planned out, isn't it? Two weeks before the Holy Week, I'm going to show you my authority over death. It's going to get you so riled up, and then I'm going to disappoint you because I'm interested more in what you need than what you want first. Now, God cares about our wants, but he cares more about what we need first. And what we needed was for him to die for our sins and to be raised to life again. They didn't need their temporary circumstance to change. They needed their eternal destiny to be secured. Amen? And for us, it has not changed. And living in this reality that Jesus is the source, is the resurrection and the life, that what he does is the only thing that enables us to face death with confidence and that actually causes us to conquer death, to die physically, but to experience the eternal life and the resurrected body that lives into a new and glorious life. It's only in being connected to Him. And I wanted to remind you that when we think about Easter, living with the end in mind brings the right perspective to the now. See, when I understand that my greatest enemy has been defeated, that the greatest thing I could ever face has been taken care of, 
the deep settled sense of joy and peace that begins to settle down upon my heart, saturate my soul, and become an underpinning of my life. I don't love trial or tribulation. I don't ask for it. But if I go through it, if I face death, my loved ones face death, the reality of Jesus as the resurrection and the life becomes everything. And I don't need to walk around fearing death. I just need to be concentrated on staying connected to the source of life. It's the only way I can navigate this. I almost lost a kid in kindergarten. Keegan had pneumonia that just kept getting bad, worse. ICUs, surgeries, going to get better, didn't get better. Both Nicole and I, stood, I remember the drives, just really thinking, you know what, they're, they're not giving us answers. He's dead, he's going to die, he's not going to make it. It's going to be one of those statistics that just wasn't able to fight back. And that spun me off for a year into, okay, I feel like I looked at death a little bit. It wasn't me, it was a loved one, that's even harder. And i got to do everything I can to make sure, because when the doctor comes in and said it was just a random virus, like, what? Now i got to protect my kid from every random virus. And so I tried to, no joke. We still laugh about this as a family. Going to a restaurant was hell on earth. Because if you read, like, the germiest, uh, I shouldn't tell you things. Some of you, just ignorance is bliss. But I was the, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that guy. And you can look at my kids now and say, hey, was your dad a germ freak? Yeah. Because I was trying to be responsible. I lost a, almost lost a kid to a random virus. Now i got to protect him from all random. Do you know how impossible that is? And actually how stupid that is? My kids need viruses to get stronger. Anyway. And through this process of the last five years, the Lord has taught me I fear death. Because I lost sight of my connection and the reality to Christ. I didn't connect, disconnect from Christ, but I had a misplaced value. And today I know that because he's the resurrection and the life, it's okay. I don't want my kid to perish. I don't want to die. I'm not interested. I'm not like, I'm sorry, I'm not like Paul. I'm not there yet. Paul's kind of like, yeah, every day he was, you know, well, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Who cares? Just shoot me. I'm not there yet. Pray for me. I kind of want to live. I want to see my kids grow up. I'm going to keep looking out for the things. And now I don't fear viruses, but I try to avoid them. I'm not going to lie to you. Don't visit me if you have the stomach bug. I hate the stomach bug, and I know that's not even one, but I'm going to be smart. But I'll tell you, as my connection to Christ and the resurrection of life has grown, more and more in this area, my fear of death has diminished. That's why, personally, for me, we walked through a whole stinking pandemic, right? For somebody like me, I should have been like Mount Everest. Like, just flying food! I actually found that because... I just rested, and God's, I just relaxed. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't do stupid things, I don't think. Some of you thought I was stupid, but... Like, I tried to... Like, I wasn't insane. But inside, I came to a piece of re- a place of rest. And I also made sure my, my elderly friends and parents were smart. Like, no one really wants to die. But we can live with the fact that if I die or if I face death, it is totally okay. Because listen to what Romans chapter 8 reminds us of along the same vein. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As is written, for your sake, we seem to face death, death, all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. (laughs) Don't you love that? No. No. That's like that coach looking at me or that my parent looking at me. and, And I'm negatively thinking or I'm thinking I can't. And I'm looking at it and say, no, don't think that way. That's not true. That's this. No. Don't go there. Not true. Lie. No. No. In all these things we are. Here's the Nike word. Nike took this Greek word and made it Nike. More than conquerors. Okay? How dare they steal a Bible word. And this more than conquerors, it's not we won at the buzzer on a half-court shot. That was a tough-fought game. Barely got by. Late field goal. That's not this word. That's not this kind of conquering. This is the kind of conquering that it's 50 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. This is the kind of conquering that we're bringing in the third string, and the third string's still whooping them. That's this word. More than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither, and what does he start with? Our greatest enemy. Death. Nor life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth. Anything, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see... Living with the end in mind brings the right perspective in the now. Living out of the victory that Christ brings brings confidence in every circumstance. And this, this is love. Love that conquers death. Father, I just pray today as we go from this place that you would enable us to be people who we're not running to the front lines. We're not teasing death we don't really want to die yet but Lord we know that when that day comes it's going to be okay in fact it is the transition into the best life you have for us The best is yet to come. And as we enjoy this life, we have confidence as we face death because of you being the resurrection and the life. Lord, help us to not be like the Palm Sunday crowd 
to be so consumed by the temporary wants that we neglect to forget to be connected to the thing we need most. That's you, the one who conquers death. Lord, I know I speak to people today that maybe struggle with these things, as I have. Give us confidence and give us peace. Help us to be the kind of people that live above the world's fear of death. Even when I say those words, I, I, I would fear dying, but Lord, I don't fear what happens if I die. Help us to be those people. Thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. And because of that, we live in the victory of that and have confidence in every circumstance. This is love, love that conquers death. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.